The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian, Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits, our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good to be here. And back from a two-week uh, hiatus on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, we missed you. Welcome back. Well, thank you. It's always nice to be missed, and uh, I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys. Welcome thank back, you. Henry. Good to hear your voice again. Thank you. Thank you. And nobody in the third chair. I, I um, had a... a, a couple of people that I had talked to about uh, sitting third chair today and it didn't work out so it's just the regulars today which is fine with me well I we always work out we'll, we'll, we'll welcome back yeah. Henry, full, 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 full tilt yeah, yeah. We'll good job for you. <laughs> <laughs> well you know we always start with uh, a couple of quotes of the week but uh, first we uh, open up with finish the quote and that's uh, simply uh, a quote where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? 
And the quote is, it is well to be prepared for life as it is, but it is better to be what? Mm. Be, be, on the right path. be on the right path. I was going to say, be, be prepared for what isn't? Or what? Well, you're both hovering pretty close to, to what the original quote is. Uh, and here's how the original quote goes. It is... It is well to be prepared for life as it is, but it is better to be prepared to make life better than it is. Ah. Yes. Ah, yes. And I'm trying to think who's, who could have said that, huh? Well, it uh, might not be, it, it may, may not be uh, a, a complete surprise given who I had on during the last hour of the show, but that was uh, Sergeant Shriver. Oh, oh. JFK brother-in-law and the yeah. first head of the Peace Corps, as well as uh, father of my previous guest, Mark Shriver. Yeah, I, I got a kick out of both, both the interview and the and the comedy piece you ran afterwards. There were some <laughs> some good lines there. Well, yeah, we actually got to hear a little bit from Sergeant Shriver and yeah. then uh, Adley Stevenson talking about <laughs> Sergeant Shriver. <laughs> that was kind of fun. Um, anyway, the quote of the week is, I'm just so thankful to the entire family. Your courage, your commitment, your strength has been a strength. This is a day for justice in America. Um, Floyd's family? That's, that's, who, it was, that's who it was to. Uh, the person who said that was Vice President Kamala Harris. She was huddled uh, with other White House officials in President Joe Biden's private dining room last week when the room let out a collective exhale. A Minnesota jury had found Derek Chauvin guilty of murdering George Floyd as the large flat screen television mounted on the north wall flashed three guilty counts. The room was overcome with a sweeping sense of relief, an aide said. Harris joined Biden in the first family moments later in the Oval Office where Floyd's family was patched in by speakerphone. Uh, she wants to say something, Biden told the group gathered in a hallway at the courthouse in Minneapolis before seating the uh, telephone to his vice president. Which will have the bigger impact on history, do you think? The verdict or the upcoming sentencing? I think the verdict. Yeah, I, I think the verdict as well. That changed everything. Policemen had never been divided. They were absolute in authority. But this is the first time that you've seen one challenged. Yeah, the, the chief of police and other, many other officers came out. My other thought, too, is that I hope this is, this is only one incident. But what still strikes me is that almost every day there's another similar incident. I, I almost lose track of the names when there's a shooting, almost, again, almost a daily shooting of some kind. I say this is one verdict and this is a step in the right direction, but there's so much more to, to be done. And, and, and you know, I... And I, I've been uh, very disillusioned about what I thought about our American system of justice and government for years. Thought it was the right thing, but now I see, I see, I sense that there's something that's wrong with it. It is absolute in authority. It will work its will, and that's why I think that a police state would be the worst thing that could happen to us. You know, and this is the way part of our country wants to move with a yeah. uh, with a uh, one party system and bringing uh, new states in to cement that. I you know I'm, I'm concerned about it. 
And this brought about uh, new thinking about that. And there does seem to be some genuine feelings on the part of at least many police officials that to really make some changes. I hope it lasts, and I hope it's. Uh, yeah, I hope it is genuine, and, and it, it, there's a long-lasting difference. As I say, I, I hope it just this is not just the news of the news of the week or news of the month, and we forget about it in six months because this is a long-lasting problem. It's been there for a long time, and frankly, it's the only reason why we, why it's an issue now. In large part, is because we have videos. I mean, these things have been going on for a long time, but there was never, there's rarely a video of it, and people could always deny what actually happened. But now, when you have everybody's got a video camera on their phone, you see things that you haven't seen before. Uh, one last uh, point I want to make on that: I think about the old movies uh, that many Black Americans followed for years and years and years, and these people were the heroes. Like, uh, for example, uh, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. They yeah. never shot people uh, unless they were in a gunfight. Now, obviously, that's going to happen. But they tracked the guy down, shot him in the arm or the knee, and <laughs> that's right. him. Uh But today, it's, you know, you just target someone. You target the head or the chest. And you, you, you know, speak, speaking of heroes... I, I always found it kind of amusing uh, watching the old um, Superman TV shows with George Reeves when the bad guys would shoot bullets that would bounce off his chest. And <laughs> yeah. they'd, they'd run out of bullets and throw the gun at him, and he'd duck. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's true. And I thought, if bullets can bounce off him, why is he avoiding getting hit with a gun? But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the uh, another quote that uh, caught my attention this week, this is going to be the greatest market, the greatest job creator since the Industrial Revolution, and I think Republicans will see that. Uh, Joe Biden. Yeah, the, the jobs bill. Uh, you would think. Yeah. It was, in fact, John Kerry, the oh. special presidential envoy for climate, predicted during a CNN climate town hall aired Friday that the Biden administration's efforts to combat climate change while creating jobs will garner Republican support. Will the GOP warm up to global warming? Uh, I think they will eventually. I, you know, uh, there can be only one way that we can go and and I think that everybody's voices have to add to the solution to global warming, and it, no one party can do that. And I'm I'm, I'm sure that it 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 will be, even though the Republicans uh, have uh, ways in which they support their argument with some degree of science. And so uh, we 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 can only see climate change for. A short distance in the future, but we really don't know whether this is being caused by one thing or the long thing of a long-term uh, view of climate change. And the reality is that there there is real evidence it does create a lot of jobs, and any transition is going to create yeah. new jobs and result in the loss of old jobs. I mean, when we in invented the car people lost jobs being uh, running stables and horseshoe manufacturers and all that. There, there's always a transition, so. It may mean a loss of jobs in the in the coal industry, but we're going to have more jobs in solar and wind energy and similar kind of things as well. And the same thing will be true as we switch from cars from 
gasoline to electric, there'll be there'll be transitional problems and difficulties, but it, it may well mean a lot more jobs in the future. But the, I think both the Democrats and the Republicans are using too much hyperbole. Uh, we don't have an idea of these drastic, grandiose changes that are going to occur. And that makes their positions uh, less likely to be believed. Uh, if we could kind of realistically state something, uh, we can't go back and do it the way John Kennedy did when he projected that we'd be on the, the moon in 10 years. Nobody believed that. But everybody learned, I uh, got the real facts of that, and they saw it evolve. But too much hyperbole, like uh, green jobs that's beyond our ability to do it is yeah. hyperbole too much. But, but again, any transition can be painful, but it does open new opportunities. Again, we, for every new invention yeah. we've had, it meant a loss of old jobs and the creation of new ones. And I, even if we can't plan it out, I think the market will determine that we're going to have a different kind of economy in the decades to come. Yeah, and you know, and, and I really think that um, General Moses' position to get rid of the internal combustion engine is a wrong thing. That's a bad omen. Uh, we cannot generate enough energy without fossil fuels. To, to use the amount of energy that we're currently using today and projecting. It's impossible. The infrastructure is only so big, so wide, and so uh, transportable. Now, and then we're talking about cutting off the supply of oil from Canada through the Great Lakes, stuff like that. That's going to impair all of our, these abilities to make this realistic. Well, but my, my, only misgiving about, <clears throat> my only misgiving about the electrical cars is, is, is the, the range. I mean... It's right now. If you're if you want to go 300, 400 miles, you can stop at a gas station, fill up, and in ten yes. ten minutes. But the the recharging of those batteries does take an awful long time, and that's that's yeah. I can see that yeah, as a real get, problem. Yeah, with the electric car, you get 400 miles away from home. You got to buy a new car to drive home. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. I I was talking recently uh, with. Uh, is it Brian Moody, I think, from uh, Auto Trader about electric vehicles? And he's pretty optimistic that uh, uh, gas stations will start putting in uh, charging stations. The problem is the length of time it takes to recharge. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've read. I mean, I saw a broadcast last night which talked about it. Even on your home thing, it's almost like an overnight <laughs> charge you need to fully charge an electric car battery these days. Which is not a terrible thing if you're using an electric car to drive to and from work and, yeah, and exactly. run some errands around town and you stay within that 300-400 mile uh, range. You come home, you plug the thing in and you you know watch the movie of the week and go to bed and get up in the morning and the car's all charged and you do it all over again. For everyday life, it may not be as much of a sacrifice as uh, it will be for people who've gotten used to traveling the country by car. That's true. We've yeah. got to take a short uh, we got to take a short break here, but we'll come back and we'll talk about some things locally. Plus, we have some state and national headlines and current events that we'll dig into. So, more armchair politics right after we take this short break. <laughs> 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues with our roundtable regulars, uh, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right, and we uh, turn our attention to some local issues. Seven years after the city's water source was switched, triggering the Flint water crisis, the fallout continues to cast its pall. Uh, While the city expects to close out three major water infrastructure projects related to the water crisis, including the final phase of a pipe replacement program this year, other reminders of the man-made emergency linger with no clear end in sight. Although a partial settlement of civil lawsuits filed on behalf of Flint residents could be approved later this year, the cases are continuing against defendants that have so far refused to settle their cases, including the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Um, what are some of the other uh, lingering issues? I think the key one is, is distrust in the system more than anything else. I mean, I think in terms of, the, of a lot of the mechanics, I think we're getting there gradually and all of that, but I, I think this, this, there's so much, so much distrust in, in anybody in the system or anybody in authority. You, you know what? Now, we've been discussing this now for at least um, on this show. Uh, maybe... For the whole seven years, Henry. Yeah, for, Probably, for the whole yeah. seven years. Okay, gotcha. Do you remember what I said when the, that story first broke? I said it would take 15 to 20 years to do all of that. And people thought that this was going to be an easy thing. Uh, it, that's what happened to Flint was a big event. And it happened all over the country about the same time. Mm-hmm. Because if you take, go back and take a look at what uh, the notes that Congress, that was sent to Congress by the EPA in, in 1999, you could predict, and the EPA did predict that this would happen. But nobody listened, and uh, then they republished it again in in 2007 and then 2011 or 12, uh, and this broke in 2015. There was a big snowball rolling down the hill, and nobody did anything. And then uh, politics took over the minute that that event uh, happened, and everybody got involved in the conversation. And now we can't come back together because we are so divided in our action strategies. And many of these things are based on money. What we have is money, is whether this is going to be settled easy. There are some people that want more money than uh, we have to provide for the solution. And uh, other people are watching to see that not too much money goes into just Flint, but everybody benefits equally. And so we're not likely to settle this easy. I know some people will agree that they uh, believe that they've been hurt badly by this and they should be made whole and stuff like that. But th- that we, we don't see the outcome of the solution yet because too many people are still uh, fighting over the resources, whatever the resources are that we have. 
And again, because of the lack of trust, we really don't know how long-lasting the yeah. effects are going to be. I mean, some kids may see an impact decades down the road that we're not even aware of right now. So, again, they may not see it as well. We just don't know. But the distrust is there. And no matter what settlement you offer, I mean, that $600 million settlement we're, we're talking about now, is that enough? It's hard to say what really is enough to settle this issue. There's always going to be those folks who are unhappy with whatever the number is, I'm afraid. Yeah, and, and those kids are going to be in the same boat that the kids we are testing today in Michigan throughout the country because of COVID. Those kids have lost a great share of education that they can never recover from. They won't perform at the same rate that kids prior to the pandemic and following the pandemic because the system has changed. And uh, so there are some losses that we can't recover. Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I, I think Flint yeah. may have missed an opportunity to become kind of the, the city that learned how to fix its own pipes. We, we, we did it, but yeah. in such a halting sort of way, I think if we had handled it differently, we might have become a model for the nation and how to do it. Because as you say, Henry, there's so many other cities facing the same or even worse situations than Flint has. But uh, we could have taken the universities we have here and the, some of the scientific uh, skills we have in terms of water handling and really made it a model for how to deal with these issues. That would have been the best way. Yeah. The coherent way. The, the, the way that would have brought a lasting solution to the problem. Exactly. But we went instead adopted a different strategy. And, I and who knows how long it's going to take. Yeah. It's easy to point at the city council and all, but I think it was bigger than that. I mean, the council played a role, and some local politics played a role, obviously, but it, I think it's bigger than that. We just uh, we did kind of miss, a, miss a, what could have been a very good chance, as I say, to make Flint the, uh, uh, the poster child for how to fix these kind of problems. Well, moving on, eight years after an emergency financial manager sold Flint's Santa Claus display, the jolly old elf is coming home. <laughs> Melody Mabbitt, one of about 20 residents who chipped in to buy the outdoor Christmas display for about $1,400 in 2013, said Friday, April 23rd, that she's gifted Santa, his sleigh, and four reindeer back to the city now that emergency managers have been out of town for more than five years years he can go home she said we had fun with him noting she helped lead the auction rescue not just to pr preserve a piece of the city's past but to protest the presence of state appointed emergency managers here will santa's return to city hall have any positive impact on uh, city officials like the council <laughs> let's hope so i don't know it's a uh... Maybe we can have Christmas in July when he gets finally puts it up. They put it finally return it somehow. Is is uh, is that even going to be something that can be done going forward now because of uh, you know blowback about uh, certain kinds of holiday holiday displays on government property? Oh, hmm. uh, yeah, that's one of the things that's going to unpack it. But you got to uh, look at what's changed in our society over the past 10 years or 20 years. We don't go to church anymore. We don't believe the um, divine creation. We're moving away from that. We believe in ourselves as human beings. 
and so this uh, these displays of of gods and godlike creatures uh, have less meaning. People don't get excited about it. And this, uh, our actions have helped to stimulate that kind of a mood in our population or in the, throughout the world, particularly in the United States. Um, and you, you read about that. You can pick up articles every week in the journal and the press and find episodes of where people are turning their backs on Christianity. Yeah. So you can put one down there. They might even let you put one down there, but it doesn't mean anything except the people may not want to pay for the lighting and stuff like that. But it's the impact of what it does, how it makes us a better neighborhood or a better community and more civil to each other. I, I don't know whether that will ever come back. Yeah. Although having said that, I think still, I mean, Santa Claus is still a, I'd call him a relatively secular being. I know he's got the yes. Christianity, but relatively secular image for Christmas. Um, yes, so I, yes. Yeah. Even for but me. Again, but again, he, he may be a symbol of the return of, of, uh, of getting rid of the uh, the emergency manager as much as, as anything else <laughs> if he returns to City Hall. <laughs> that, that could be. That could be. He may have uh, a whole new brand going forward. Yeah. Well, the chief executive officer of the Genesee Health Plan, a sponsor of the Tom Sumner program, says county officials started discussions about replacing his group as the administrator of a program that helps the working poor only after they push to use millage funds for other purposes. Now, we talked about this and and speculated last week that that was probably what they were up to. Uh, He said they wanted to take millage dollars and help with their budget deficit. Uh, Jim Milanowski, uh, president and CEO of GHP, who also is a scheduled guest tomorrow during the first hour of the, the show here on the Tom Sumner program at 9 o'clock. Um, that's not what the millage was for, he added. The county board voted this month to prepare a request for proposals for organizations interested in managing the health care program for the uninsured after failing to reach an agreement on an updated contract with uh, Genesee Health Plan, which has performed the job for more than 14 years. County Board Chairman Mark Young, a Democrat from Grand Plank, said Thursday that commissioners aren't trying to take money away from the health care millage, which raises more than $9 million annually, but they do want GHP to enroll inmates in its program, a change that would save money for the county's general fund. Mm. How do you think this will mm. end? Hmm. I don't know. I uh, All I can say is I've, I know some friends who have made very successful use of the uh, Tennessee County health care plan in, in past years. And they've been reasonably satisfied with how it worked. I, I certainly hope whatever changes take place don't destroy the effectiveness of that program, because at least the, the few people I know who've used it were, were more than satisfied. And I agree with it. I think it does a good job. What it, a, it does what other segments of government cannot do. What are the implications of uh, uh, the the funding here where there was a millage passed by voters to support the Genesee Health Plan as it was organized and has been run for the last 14 years? Um, what are the implications of 
trying to use that money for other purposes? Well, the, it was, excuse me, it was initially designed for specific functions, as you know. And we need to go back and look at the bylaws of the thing, look at the, uh, the mission and find out where in the mission are we deviating? Where is there something you got? Somebody's got to go back and study the mission. If it's if it's reasonable to do exactly what people are the opposition wants, uh, they may have to consider that. Well, but Genesee, we have to go back and look at it. I was going to say here, the one, one other effect too is that this is going to weaken the chance to to get new millages approved. In other words, if you go to yes, the board and say we want to do A, B, and C with your with your your tax dollars. And then yeah. a couple of years later, you change your mind. The voters are going to say, wait a minute, <laughs> we approved one thing and yeah. you're doing something entirely different. So in the future, it may be a problem for, for a variety of millages that are out there for a particular purpose. Well, that, you know, that yeah, happened you don't with want a to police village in Flint yeah. a few years ago. Yeah, you Remember the police millage that was passed? And yeah, they yeah, thought I it do. was going to be so many more officers and, and they used... Uh, the, the police millage dollars to um, offset a grant that ran out. That's right, yeah. A and, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and, and their explanations were a little bit slick for most people. They expected to see more officers on the street, not more funding for the officers they already had. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and, and I think that could, that could happen here, because apparently what's happening here is the, the county, um, overseen by the Board of Commissioners, is paying for health care for inmates at the jail. Mm -hmm. And they're hurting for money. So there is this countywide organization that is millage funded that provides health care. They're trying to... Um, either get money from their millage to offset their budget deficit or they want to um, have the Genesee Health Plan absorb the costs of health care for inmates. I, and I haven't seen any numbers. Um, I, I have to apologize for that. I haven't seen what it would cost for the Genesee Health Plan to absorb that coverage of inmates. Yeah, I haven't in the seen jail. it either. I mean, it, I mean, it's, that's a desirable goal. Obviously, the inmates ought to have health coverage, especially with the pandemic and everything else. And they but, do. Yeah. But the question is, the county doesn't feel like they can continue to afford it, mm. and so they tried to just slide into the contract. Oh well, Genesee Health Plan will absorb that. Yeah. And yeah. the Genesee Health Plan may not have the resources. Right. Well, you don't want to cross the voters with uh, something that uh, that could be to them deceived um, tactics. You don't want to do that because you will fall by and you'll never get taxes uh, associated with this kind of uh, issue again. Can grow very skeptical, and like I say, in the future, they may be less inclined to either renew or approve millages. Yes. <clears throat> well, it'll be interesting to hear what Jim Milanowski from the Genesee Health Plan has to say about this. Uh, that will be. This whole situation tomorrow on the show. Um, 
and there are a couple of other interesting things on on tomorrow's show. Uh, former uh, Tennessee Attorney General is part of a group that's trying to uh, uh, make sure that uh, the Biden administration and the legislature uh, doesn't try to change the Supreme Court from nine justices. Hmm. And um, yeah, and and there's. Yeah, no, that's that's that, that could be yeah, an issue. That, yes, that is something that we, I for one, I don't want to see. And well, I don't I, want I'm, to see new states added either for the purpose yeah. of political purposes. Yeah, no, I, I like I say for somewhat similar reasons. I uh, I'm not thrilled with the current Supreme Court, but the idea of of adding them in this context, Franklin Roosevelt got his got burned when he tried to do it back in the 1930s. And my my fear is it'll open the door to well if 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 we if Democrats can add them this year then a few years down the road Republicans will add more and then somebody's going to add more and before you know it you have a Supreme Court that uh, looks like a Michigan Stadium filled with people I mean at some point <laughs> <laughs> if you've got to stop yeah I agree uh, and this expands government and government big government is difficult for people. To influence or control, and remember, all of authority comes from people. And once you put more people in these elected positions, uh, you don't have <laughs> a governing body anymore. Call you know, in, in that same context, something I might be more open to myself is, is maybe perhaps some kind of term limits for a Supreme Court, maybe 18 years or something like that have been tossed about. That might be a possibility. I, I, I'd be more open to that than I would be to expanding the number right now. Yeah. Well, 18 of 43 would-be candidates for Flint City Council won't end up on the ballot after their petition signatures were checked by the city clerk's office. A new candidate list released by the office of Clerk Inez Brown shows 18 fewer individuals than had filed petitions to run in the August 3rd primary election. As a result of the reduction, two incumbent council members, Eric Mays in Ward 1 and Eva Worthing in Ward 9, now have no opposition in the primary. Their names will not appear on the primary ballot, and they will advance automatically to the November 2nd general election, the clerk's office said in a news release Monday. Any surprises there? I was surprised there were so many people who failed to make the cut. I mean, it seems to have a bit of a, a history of this thing, but there were, as I say, almost, what, 30 or about almost 40% of the folks uh, didn't make the cut. And apparently they turned in petitions, but they were invalid signatures or non-voters or something of that nature. So I was surprised at how many people failed to make the cut. Uh, that was that was my only main surprise. And, and I guess somewhat surprised that, that the... It, it, both Eric Mays and Worthing facing no opposition because there was a that lot of surprised me a little bit because there were so many people um, in all of the wards that took out petitions and yeah, even that turned yeah. in petitions. Yeah, I've got the list in front of me. I mean, every ward had multiple candidates, and it looked like there'll be kind of a wide open uh, contest in, in, in August, but. It, it may be a matter where, where, where many of the incumbents are going to have the inside track one more time. Um, I think the interesting ward to watch is the open seat left uh, yeah. vacant by uh, Santino Guerra's decision not to run for re-election. Uh, A.C. Dumas, Quincy Murphy, and Carrie Nelson 
are running in that ward. Yeah, and three well-known names in Flint politics. True. Especially and at the ward level, and and it's it's going to be interesting. And because it is wide open, there's no incumbency there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, did all of those candidates live in that ward, or the, they moved in? Well, as far as I know, they all live there. Yeah, it's best of my knowledge too. I don't I don't know the contrary, but <clears throat> I think so. Well, I know that AC Dumas lives uh, across the street from 2014 Winans. I know Quincy Murphy's been active Maybe in that, that area for a lot of things too. I've yeah, but he lives up on the north. And Carrie Nelson lives on the is, north end, and, up, uh, by north in the west nor, northwest sector. And Carrie yeah, Nelson had know. the seat before Santino Guerra got it. That's right. That's right. Well, you can move in, but if you move in, you gotta you gotta follow the rules. The rules are that you must be six months into that space, right? Yeah, I, you, I, you got to live in there. Yeah, I think it's six months. You got to be a voter I, I, in the area, I think. Although, yeah, there, 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 yeah. there's there's often charges for for many candidates that they don't live in the wards. I mean, there's been an issue for in the past for a good number of candidates, and even those who were elected, claiming they didn't live in certain wards. So, well, and sometimes you'll have a situation where a candidate has uh, owns multiple houses, and That's true. and they use true. one of their addresses as a, a residence to run in that ward. Yeah, well, I don't think that that case has been through a court case yet, and that have, may not have been decided because it's a court case that decides these. The law out there says that you must live in the precinct from which you vote, right? That's the specific, almost the specific wording of the law. You must reside in the precincts that you vote in. Well, wasn't that an issue for for Josh Freeman for a while? Because his his family had moved out to Davison, I think, and but he still had a house in the fourth ward, and I presume was there at least occasionally. But I know yeah, he was claiming raised. that he stayed there, um, you know, that he lived in the home in the in the ward, and he just came out to Davison on uh, weekends to be with his family. Yeah. yeah. Um, I suspect that was probably stretching it a little. <laughs> and I've heard that for other candidates, too. I mean, it's, uh, it's not an unusual charge in, in Flint politics. And, uh, you know, what's going to be interesting about this upcoming election is that we're st- I, in August we're going to still be using the old wards because they don't, the census stuff isn't out. But they're going to be in until, what, 2026, right? So they're going to be with the old wards long after all the other new districts are drawn. Uh, somewhere at the end of this year, I presume. Uh, so it's kind of an, a kind of an unusual election in that sense that it'll be frozen in place for quite a while. Interesting. Anyway, we have to take a uh, a break here, but we'll uh, we'll move on to some things from Lansing when we return with uh, our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right for this week's edition of Armchair Politics. If you're listening to us on uh, WFOV 92.1 FM, our voices radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And um, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, our uh, archive is back up and running, so if you miss an episode of Armchair Politics or an interview uh, 
from uh, any of the Tom Sumner programs, you can go to the archive and uh, and find it. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office...
have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue this week's edition of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left and Henry Hatter on the right. Uh, The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services suggests vaccine providers resume use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine following guidance from federal experts. The U.S. Senators, the U.S. Centers, for Disease Control and the Food and Drug Administration conducted a safety review of the vaccine following an 11-day recommended pause to investigate rare cases of severe blood clotting. The federal agencies determined Friday that use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine should be resumed in the United States in individuals 18 years and older. Do you think people will accept being vaccinated with the J&J vaccine if health professionals are recommending it? Mm, I think there'll still be skepticism, unfortunately. As I say, there's been so many doubts bubbling up all over anyhow, and this is, as I say, medically what they did was probably right, but in terms of the the image of it and the the politics of it, it's probably going to raise some doubts, unfortunately. on the other hand, it sounds like there's there's a plenty of vaccines of the other varieties available anyhow, at least as things stand right now. So it may not be that big a deal. And one of the uh, and one of the what we've known since Herodotus is that medicine is not an exact science mm. because people's biology is not exact. There there's no duplication of what goes on in one, in one body is equal to that that goes on in another body. So we have known for years that there are these interference uh, practices that that limit uh, effectiveness of a drug in a body when introduced by a doctor for the first time compared to what goes on within the population. We're going to have these uh, variations in... in um, and effectiveness in people. And as somebody pointed out the other day in terms of, of this issue, that even some very ordinary medicines can have had, have adverse reactions. Of, of If you give 10 million people an aspirin, a few of them will have some kind of an adverse reaction to an aspirin occasionally. So there are, there are those issues that just in terms of the sheer numbers, almost anything will cause some, some adverse reactions. Uh, you know, people are allergic to peanuts or or a lot of other things here and there, too, these mm-hmm. days. <clears throat> but to condemn the whole practice yeah. is not a wise thing. <clears throat> and just like this Johnson & Johnson drug, we must still introduce that to the population. Even though there are objections, people will have their choices. Yeah. Or you don't have to use it at all. Some people will, will resist taking it because some people have that belief. That, and they know that all medicine is not an exact science. So they don't want to risk it. Yeah. As I say, the strangest thing we're seeing now is that in, in one way the supply of vaccines are, is outpacing the people who want to get it. For the longest time, it was people were desperate to get the vaccine. Now all of a sudden we're hearing stories 
about how vaccines are going unused in some in some outlets, at least because not enough people are showing up or keeping their appointments. Uh, that is kind of worrisome. But but yet we have this uh, back and forth that's destroying our country. It's just some people don't want to take it. Some people are not ready, prepared to take it. When I know. They yeah. come up for that, and we are just tearing each other to pieces. I mean, it, it strikes should me let that people it, voluntarily decide to take it. It seems like if if anything could cut across partisan lines and uniting people, it would be a a battle against the against the virus like this. It's this. It's a, it ought not to be a partisan issue, but it's become that in terms of whether it's taking a vaccine or mask wearing or lots of other details of yeah. this whole pandemic have to become so partisan. But as I say, as an abstract issue, it, it ought to be the least partisan kind of problem the nation faces. Uh, but it's, it's, we're not those kind and of that's, times And that's anymore. what's bad. That's yeah. what's bad about it is tearing the country and inspecting all other uh, yeah. aspects of life as well. That's true. Well, a law deemed unconstitutional that Governor Gretchen Whitmer previously used to issue pandemic orders will remain on the books for now. The Board of State Canvassers failed to certify the signatures of a petition seeking to repeal the law during a Thursday uh, board meeting. The anti-executive power group Unlock Michigan submitted more than half a million signatures in October of 2020 in a a petition drive aimed at undoing the 1945 law Whitmer used to issue executive orders last year. The bipartisan uh, canvassing board's 2-2 certification vote follows the petition signatures being deemed valid by Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson and collected with no prosecutable illegal activity, according to Attorney General Dana Nessel. Does this leave the door open for a future state Supreme Court reversal? Potentially, the question that I raised when I heard that was, does this law change the powers of the health department? Because my understanding is the current rules now are not issued nominally by the governor, but by the health department, because, she's, because, because she lost the power under the 45 law. So would, would this petition, if it, were, if it were to go forward and pass, would it change the powers of the health department, or would those remain the same? And I really don't have the answer to that. I believe that the uh, the health department derives its legal authority from the legislature itself. That's what I thought. Even though it, you know, there's there's a certain, um, you know, day to day operational administration by the governor's office. Uh, it's the legislature that empowered that agency to actually make and enforce guidelines. So yeah, my 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 understanding is that once the governor lost the the power under the forty five law, she just passed the buck to the health department, and they did pretty much the same thing with somewhat different basis for their powers. Um, and I don't know that this law would change much of that. Well, at the same meeting. <clears throat> Uh, the state canvassers also unanimously approved petition language for the uh, right-wing Michigan Patriot Party to start collecting signatures mm. for future certification. <clears throat> and, of course, my question is, is this the beginning of the third party that Paul Rosicki has speculated might, <laughs> might break Sounds off like from the GOP? 
It sounds like it to me. Yeah, that's uh, there's, there's one in Texas, I guess, and I think I saw a story that there's one in Alaska getting underway too, with the same name, Patriot Party. So I, 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 I that's my that's my guess for 2024 right now. Uh, yeah, I get messages from all of those. So uh, <clears throat> I'm not. Uh, too quick to move because I think that the that the parties, the established parties, have the advantages. And but well, this people are going to stay. But Henry, do you think this uh, this this Patriot Party number one um, can get enough support to actually become a viable party in Michigan um, and and other states too? But but we're talking about uh, an effort in Michigan to get on the ballot as a third party and is this a break off from the GOP are people that have been GOP supporters in the last election cycle or two um, likely to pull away and and go with this group well you see we don't know where Trump is we don't know is he going to stay with the Republican Party or he's going to yield to the, the third party and uh, the third party, it looks as though that's growing uh, with some momentum. But yet, I'm not sure that former President Trump has decided which direction he's moving in. Because he wants to garner the support of the Republican Party and its money and its influence. And once you break off, you don't have that anymore. And uh, you may even have a an adversary Republican Party running against him and the third party. So there are some things that yet has to be clarified as to and that has to come from President Trump and from the new party, the Patriot Party and the Republican Party. They are pulling the strings. There's just not enough information to clarify a view here. And I would think that, you know, given the support Trump has got, I would think that if there is a Patriot Party, that's going to pull enough votes away from uh, uh, from the, the traditional Republican Party, frankly, to give Democrats an advantage. I mean, you can argue one reason why uh, why Bill Clinton won in 92 was because you had Ross Perot there pulling away a number of Republicans, what normally would be Republican votes with his third party. He didn't win himself, obviously, but third parties... Do can really affect elections because they can pull a lot of votes away, and and with the Trump personality, if he, if he becomes part of the Patriot Party, it could be a major factor in 2024. Uh, yeah, well, all Americans are not gullible. They don't want to see us break up like splinters. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican, it's just not going to happen. So, um. We'll just have to wait and see. It's just not, the, the water's muddy right now. It's difficult to determine. But there are many people who would like to see a third party. There are many people who don't want to see a third party. There are people that don't want to see a packed Supreme Court. we got a lot of issues before where Republicans and Democrats have to sit down and talk about what should be the outcome of this frustration that we're going through. Yeah. They're the only ones that can do it. 
Good point. We have to uh, take a break for top of the hour uh, ID here, but we'll be back with the second half of Armchair Politics with uh, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter and yours truly, Tom Sumner, uh, after we uh, after we take this short break. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse because there's uh, lots more Armchair Politics straight ahead. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. 